0: So, Father, I just pray that as we had this um, last weekend with Wes, I, I first of all pray for uh, him and Vicky and uh, for the staff that have gone through a loss of a couple chaplains, even in the last three days, in her, her just terrible ways. And Lord, we can't fully understand our brothers and sisters that that are losing their lives in Africa and the Middle East and. The Far East. I heard numbers, 90,000 Christians martyred in 2016. Lord, you know every single one of them. And so, Father, we pray for them. We pray for the chaplains and, in Sudan that are soldiers for you. And we just pray that you be with them and um, in their loss. And, Lord, the family of those chaplains that have experienced loss the last couple days, their children, their spouses. Lord, I pray that you bring strength to them. And Lord, that you would encourage them. Our brothers and sisters in the Middle East, that, Lord, are being beheaded and killed and raped and Lord, we don't like to hear about it, but it's happening. And, Lord, we just pray that those who are standing in the gap that have made a decision to, to be a light, that you be with them, guide them, and, oh, Lord, protect them. I pray that more and more would come to Jesus Christ as we're hearing reports of thousands of those coming out of Islam, turning to Jesus, calling out to him, turning to Christianity. And Father, I pray that in these days that we hear that this is a mission field in our community and workplaces and homes and neighborhoods, Lord, that we wouldn't play games with our Christianity. But Lord, that we would be committed to to just desiring to move forward in you and to know you more, how we need you to fill us and to guide us in everything. And Father, I do pray that you would... um, Lord, just help us to be a light and to stand strong for you. And I pray for this church, Calvary Chapel, that, Lord, that we would not be a church that wavers when it comes to truth or standing for what's right. But Lord, out of love, to proclaim that boldly. And Father, I do pray that you would just um, help us to, to look to you And through it, that you would move powerfully in the places that we're at. As we proclaim over the radio your truth and that people would come to know you and give their lives to you. As they come to this place, as your word is proclaimed, that they would surrender to you. And Lord, I do pray that you would just um, work in a, a wonderful way this weekend when the ladies meet. That as they talk about prayer and have lessons of prayer, that, um, Lord, that those ladies would be encouraged and blessed in every way. That you would just provide for us to be able to minister to each and every one. And, Lord, as we continue so many things that we want to look at and doing and reaching out, and that you give us guidance and wisdom and all of that. And, Lord, bless this night as we spend some time in your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, that's the end of the debrief. Let's get into God's Word, chapter twenty-five. I just wanted to share that with you, and and um, you know, just kind of sitting there thinking about all these things and pondering them. And I know probably some of you were as well. That I hope that, that the Lord touched you in some way this last weekend. But Proverbs chapter twenty-five. These also the proverbs. Of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, Judah copied. About 200 years after the death of of Solomon, that many of you know, as you read the books of 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, those historical books, that Hezekiah came on the throne. And what's interesting about Hezekiah, Hezekiah was a great king, he was a very godly king. And matter of fact, 2 Chronicles tells us that there was no king as great as Hezekiah before him or after him. I mean, he was a great king in the eyes of God. And what is interesting about Hezekiah is that his father was Ahaz. And as most of you know, that Ahaz, he was an ungodly king. He was one of the worst kings that Judah had. Matter of fact, the two worst kings that Judah had was Hezekiah's father, Ahaz, that ruled for 16 years, he plunged the nation deep into idol worship and occultic practices. He had it to where uh, they were burning their, their own babies on the arms of Moloch and in the arms of, of Baal there in the Gehenna Valley. It was a place where the temple ended up being closed in Jerusalem and full of idols and trash, and people weren 't allowed to come to the temple. It was Ahaz that made alliances with Shenacherib, the king of the Assyrians. Matter of fact, we know that in Second Kings it tells us that Ahaz actually went up to visit Shenacherib in Damascus when he did that. That, which would be a, very unusual for a king to travel to another you know, kingdom, to another capital. Damascus was the capital of Syria before the Assyrians came down. Shennacherib killed the king of Syria, but he's there on his new throne, you know, taking over power in Syria, Shennacherib. And Ahaz goes to see him and he sees this idol there that Shennacherib had been worshiping. And he says, I like that. So he has his Priest come, his high priest come and make a copy of it, you know, make a drawing of it so they could go down to Jerusalem or up to Jerusalem and they would be able to make that idol and put it in the temple there in Jerusalem. So he was a horrible, horrible king. And then, probably even worse than Ahaz, was Hezekiah's son. So the two worst kings in Judah that really plunged them deep into false worship and idol worship was Ahaz, Hezekiah's father, and then Manasseh who ruled for 55 years. And of course the Lord came along and said because of the sins of Manasseh that Judah you're eventually you're going to go off into captivity. So what amazes me is how did Hezekiah you know become so godly? He was one that was committed to the Lord. He didn't learn it from his father. And yet we see his son was one that was plunged deep into idol worship. It's kind of a puzzle when you think about it. But it's important for us to understand this, that there are those that will come here. There are kids that will bring kids. There's high school kids that will bring other high school kids. Or there's young adults that will bring others from you know, college or the university or friends at work or whatever. And they didn't grow up in a godly home. They didn't have any godly guidance from their parents. And we have opportunity to share with them the gospel and the truth of God's word and to touch their lives. and, And to minister to them in the classrooms and in the youth rooms and here in the sanctuary. So someone came along and really put an investment spiritually to Hezekiah to where he was strong in the Lord he was only I believe 25 years old when he came on the throne and he would first thing he would do is he would clean out the temple he he, he took all the 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 Levites and the priests went in there and they cleared out all the rubble and the trash. And then what they, he did also is he made reforms. He had the Levites go throughout the cities of Judah uh, with the word of God. And also we see that he instituted the Passover to where even the runners went out and they invited all the villages of Judah to this Passover. Passover had not been you know, uh, celebrated for many, many years. Matter of fact, the only two Passovers That we know in the Old Testament, after they left Egypt, after, you know, they celebrate the first Passover, what they were to do is to celebrate it every year. But we know Hezekiah celebrated it 200 years after David. There's no record that David celebrated it or even Solomon. Doesn't mean that they didn't, but there's no record of it. And then Josiah, the last of the good guys, right before they went off into captivity. And it says that as Hezekiah sent those runners out, it was right after the 10 northern tribes were taken off into captivity by the Assyrians. But there were still some Jews that were left behind. And they even went up as far as Dan, it says, inviting the Jews that were left to come to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover. And there's a wonderful verse that says all... Uh, The hand of God was on Judah to give them singleness of heart to obey the command of the king and the leaders at the word of the Lord. And I really love that verse. And that's the verse that the Lord gave to me a couple of years ago concerning us here at Calvary Chapel. That whatever the Lord is going to do here as we continue to grow and as we continue to minister and reach out to this community, as we see the hand of the Lord is on us, that there's going to be a singleness of heart. That's what I pray. That whatever we do, you know, I know that it gets crowded in here and we're tripping over each other at times and we're crawling over each other in the chairs and and that takes place. But if the Lord grows us as a, a church and he provides for us in a building, whatever and however he does that, that we will be able to look at it with a singleness of heart and say, this is good. This is what the Lord is doing. We don't have to strive. We don't have to, you know, come up with all kinds of strategies and marketing things and, and all of this thermometers, you know, and we gotta strive to make it happen. We're just gonna let the Lord take care of it. And the Lord has given me a real peace about that. Because sometimes I think, you know, with with I'd love to do so much more, Lord, and, and if it grows any more, are we gonna have to go to a fourth weekend service? And whatever the Lord has for us. He will give us the strength to get through it. And what I hope and what I'm asking is that you would pray with me about, Lord, whatever you have for us, you're the one that owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So if you need to sell a couple of those cattle for us, that's okay. You provide for us. And I pray that as the hand of the Lord is on us, that he will give us a singleness of heart. And we say, Good. This is good. The Lord's working. And the Lord is moving. And and I want to be able to trust him in that way. So here's Hezekiah. And and the word of the Lord is growing. And there's revival that's taken place. And here's the thing that I want to remind you. That revival takes place where we see it in the Old Testament. It would be after Hezekiah that Josiah would come on the scene, right before the Judah would go off into captivity. Josiah, same thing happened after the reign of Manasseh, the, the temple's trashed out, uh, it was full of idols, Josiah comes on the scene. He's young when he takes the reign as king over Judah, and he cleans the temple up, he puts in these reforms and as they were cleaning out the temple all of a sudden in a corner under all the trash there was a copy of the book of the law and it was brought to Josiah and they began to read to him the book of the law and he was so convicted and he realized how they had gotten so far away from the Lord he tore his clothes and then he called for a Passover and there was a great celebration so out of that revival came Daniel And came Ezekiel. Out of that revival would come, you know, Daniel's three friends, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There was a revival that took place. And then after the death of Josiah, when he was killed up in the valley of Megiddo, we see that the last three kings after him ended up being evil kings and they went off into captivity. I think that we want to see revival, don't we? And I'll tell you how revival happens when I look at it from the Old Testament or whether I look at it in the New Testament in the book of Acts. It is that when the word of God begins to be multiplied and brought back into the hearts of the people. That's when revival happens. The word of the Lord multiplied, it says in the book of Acts. And then there was great revival, people getting saved. You see that over and over again in Acts. And you see it in the Old Testament with Hezekiah, Josiah. Revival happened when the people began to listen to the word of God. Even as as Ezra would read it. And Nehemiah and those brought back the word of God. And people began to repent. You see, we hear sometimes about revival. And it's just weirdness is what it is. Oh, there's revival going on. You know, and people are barking in the spirit and howling like animals and all. That's not revival. It's through the teaching of the word of God and people repenting and humbling themselves and coming to the Lord. And that's why I am very, very adamant about teaching the word of God and being a church that prays. That there would be revival that really takes place. So, all of a sudden, here's Hezekiah during his day. He finds these proverbs and he rediscovers them. And what my hope is for us is that we would continually just rediscover the scriptures continually just reading them. There was one guy I remember that was when I met in Africa. That he would talk about revival, but he would say "re-bible." He, he wasn't very good in his English, and he'd say "re-bible." And I like that; it is rebible. Rediscover the scriptures. Never stop proclaiming it, studying it, giving it to your children, and to your grandchildren. And Hezekiah, his men, finds it and they said, hey, we're going to record it. We've rediscovered the scripture once again. It was before that, right before the house of Israel went off into captivity that Amos, the prophet, came along. And he said he talked about a day of famine that was coming. Not a famine of food, not a famine of water, but a famine of the word of God. And I believe that we're seeing that today. I believe that we're seeing a famine of the word of God today. And what I want to do is be able to refresh you and and this community and wherever we can. And you want to do this as well to refresh people with the water of the word, don't we? So here these, these proverbs are discovered. So verse two, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of Kings is to search out of matter. So We see that those in authority will search out a matter uh, before giving a judgment. And it's interesting. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It reminds me of what is declared in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, that the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do uh, well in the words of the law. You see, there are some things that aren't revealed to us, that they belong to the Lord, our God. He says the secret things belong to him. But the things that are revealed to us and the things that are revealed to us are very important. They belong to us and to our children. And the things revealed to us in his word. It's the still, small voice of the Lord speaks to us. He desires for us to know that and to search out the scriptures as we make decisions in our lives, in any area of our lives, and search out the scriptures to make a decision on any matter. And isn't it wonderful to have the word of God to guide you? We know that and I've said this before it's wonderful that we don't have to you know be confused we don't have to be you know wondering we don't have to be deceived we don't have to go towards darkness but search out the scriptures and decisions that you make in your life and as the heavens uh, for height and the earth for depth uh, so the heart of kings is unsearchable so you can't measure the universe when I was in elementary school I think they said that the known universe was four billion you know billion light years across and now it's like 25 billion light years across they don't know how big the universe is could be billions and billions of light years you know trillions of light years across we can't measure it we can't measure the depth of the earth in the king's heart three things that are unsearchable but God can because he holds the universe in the palm of his hand he knows the depth of the earth and he's the one that searches out the king's heart, even as Proverbs chapter 21 declared, as we saw that he, like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. So the Lord is in control, and he searches those things out, and he is all knowing, and he knows everything about us as well. And take away the dross from the silver, and it will go to the silversmith for jewelry. Take away the wicked from before the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness. So, you know, remove impurities and it will be valuable to the jeweler. If we remove impurities from our lives, here it says, take away the wicked from the king and his throne will be established. But let's apply it. Let's bring it home closer for us as we allow the Lord to do that purifying work in our lives that we are ones that as those impurities begin to be burned away, that it is something that's very valuable to the Lord. And we are established in the truth and then walking with the Lord. And that's what he wants to do with our lives. That's how he wants to work in our lives. And it's interesting that, that Solomon, inspired by the Spirit of God, uses, you know, the metal of silver. Because in the Old Testament, silver has special meaning. Gold. They brought gold to Jesus, remember, at the birth of Jesus. And gold has the meaning of perfection, of, of deity. That's what it symbolizes. They brought that gold to Jesus. Then you have bronze, and bronze speaks of what? Of judgment, doesn't it? The bronze altar where they did the sacrifices on. But what does silver speak of? Silver speaks of redemption. And as you and I have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and we become his child as we know him and as we walk with him, he wants to do that purifying work in our lives, doesn't he? We had that old song, maybe some of you have been around contemporary worship for a while, Refiner's Fire, remember that? It was popular in the 90s and the 80s. My heart's desire is to, to know you and and to go through that refining process though as we sing that song is not always easy because the way to to refine that fire is turn up the heat to to heat up the metal to to have the impurities come to the surface and then draw away the dross, you know, scrape it off until the silversmith can see his reflection in the silver. That's when he knows that the impurities are out. And that's a lifelong process that he's doing with this in this process of sanctification. The refiner's fire, and it's not easy. It's not always comfortable, but it is very necessary. But as I was thinking about this, I was looking at this and thinking that it reminded me of Numbers chapter 10. I'm sure you remember that chapter as we went through it, that when Moses was in the wilderness, he was told to make two silver trumpets. And those two silver trumpets would be blown for special messages. They would blow the trumpets to gather the congregation at the uh, door of the tabernacle. In other words, what was being trumpeted to God's people and what is trumpeted to you and to me as we've been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb, that he trumpets a message to us that I want you to gather at the door of the tabernacle. And I commend you for coming out on Wednesday nights and going through the scriptures and as we gather together as a people so he can speak to us and minister to us. They would blow those trumpets and it would gather the leadership. And they would gather together as as Moses would be instructed to give them a message. And listen, God wants to use you somehow, some way. He wants you men to be a leader in your homes. He wants you at the workplace to be a leader because you may be the only Christian that's there and sometimes it's hard, isn't it? Because it seems like everybody gangs up on you. But you be a leader spiritually in your neighborhood. Wherever God has placed you, you have opportunity to impact others and he wants to use you in a very special way. So he trumpets that message to gather with my people, to be a leader amongst the people and then he would blow the trumpet it was time for them to gather up their tents and to begin to move and you know how it was the pillar of fire by night and pillar of cloud by day that uh with the tangible presence of god that would lift from the tabernacle and move and then they would pack up and they would move they would blow those two silver trumpets and the lord desires to lead you he desires to lead you every single day in every single way as you listen to him as he says this is the way walk in it those silver trumpets would be blown when they would go to war and and they used those trumpets in a certain way as you look at numbers chapter 10 and the message was that we're going to go to war against the enemy and as i mentioned to you it's a war out there isn't it And the warfare may intensify in your life, particularly as you are growing in the Lord and as you're being used of the Lord. You know, one of the things, again, that I would ask is for your prayer, because as the church grows, warfare increases. The battle increases for me. And the battle increases for the staff. And there are some days where we can really feel it. And there is isn't almost a day that doesn't come by that goes by or at least a week that doesn't go by that I don't get an email, a letter or something that somebody doesn't like what I have to say. Or the word of God that's being proclaimed. And so we are out there in a battlefield, but the Lord is there to strengthen us. And to be with us and for us to be able to put on the whole armor of God. And then the last one is they would blow the trumpets over the sacrifices as they would offer the burnt offerings and other offerings. And as we come, we're here to, to offer ourselves as a burnt offering to the Lord. Lord, I give all of myself to you. And that's his desire to give a sacrifice of praise unto him. A sacrifice of service unto him. Those were the messages that were trumpeted to the children of Israel. And that same message is trumpeted to you and to I as we will go through the refining process. But the silver, the silver, the silver trumpets. It's not trumpeting perfection. It's not trumpeting judgment, but redemption. The sanctification that he's doing in us. Five things that will help us in that process. To gather together as God's people. That you be a leader wherever the Lord has you. That you be one that you're directed by the Lord. There's warfare out there. And to come and and offer yourself as a burnt sacrifice to the Lord. I give all of my life to you. As I've mentioned so many times before. Jesus isn't a part of your life. He isn't one that's just added to your life. He should be your life. He should be my life. You're everything to me Lord. So here is as. solomon writes about the refining process and then verse six we read that do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king and do not stand in the place of the great for it is better that he say to you come up here than that you should be put lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen Uh, don't take the best seat you might get embarrassed don't seek to get honored Jesus is going to talk about that when we get to Luke chapter 14. He, he's going to say, don't desire the best seats unless you get embarrassed. Somebody say you need to go sit in the back and whoever exalts self will be humbled and God will exalt the humble. One of the things that, again, that I think that as we consider ministry and, and as a church, one of the big things in a church today is to promote yourself to promote the church, promote yourself. And I I get some of that. But for some, that's, that's, you know, everything. How do we promote ourselves? How do I promote myself as a pastor? And, you know, there's whole seminars on that, whole conferences on that, how to dress a certain way and, you know, how to talk a certain way. And you know how to relate to the people and certain buzzwords and how to promote yourself and we have all these ways that we can promote ourselves and we want to know people you know we want to let people know that we're here and what we're about certainly understand all of that but i don't think that we need to strive to try to promote ourselves again when god moves he moves And you know, it becomes about methods and procedures and fashion and and all of this and you know, you know, gotta have your single mic and you gotta move around a certain way and all this. And I just gotta be myself. It was John the Baptist that was out there in the wilderness, in a hot barren wilderness, wearing camel skins. And preaching a message of repentance. And it says all of Israel came out to see him because God was moving, right? I think Paul the Apostle, I think about his ministry and as he comes into Corinth and he comes in and he says, you know that when I first came to you, I came with much fear and trembling. He was a beat up missionary, beaten by rods in Philippi. He was run out of Thessalonica. He was mocked in Athens you know, he went through a difficult time, and when he came into Corinth, he still was black and blue from the beating that he took in Philippi. He's wearing these tent making, sweaty clothes. He comes and he says, I didn't come with the excellence of speech, but in a power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And I came preaching nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And what my hope and prayer for us is that we would let the Lord exalt whatever He wants, but we exalt Him, and that we would have the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That it isn't about you know procedures and methods and and you know uh, marketing and all of this. I know it has its place. I know that we can reach people through media and all of that. you know where people are really going to be reached I'll tell you where and how it's through you it's through you have you invited somebody to church have you told them how excited you are about learning the scriptures and talked about the things of the Lord have you really prayed for people that are linked to you in your life whatever that might mean for you And you see, you think about it, if everybody brought one person, the church would double, right? But as we are ones that we promote Jesus Christ and his love and Jesus Christ and him crucified, that's where we're going to see God working in a powerful way. And to tell you the truth, I'm not interested in methods and in procedures and, and, you know, f- fashion. You know, you got to dress a certain way. 40 years ago, you had a suit and tie on. Now it's all kinds of weird stuff that the, you know, skinny jeans and everything else they want you to wear. And I'm way past all that. And <laughs> it would really ba- embarrass myself with that. I've just got to be, you know, what God has called me to be. I'm going to let him, you know, do the work. And we glorify him and exalt him. Well, in verse 8, do not go hastily to court, for what will you do in the end when your neighbor has put you to shame? Debate your case with your neighbor and do not disclose the secret to another, lest he who hears it expose your shame and your reputation be ruined. Verse 10. Don't let anger drive you to foolish decisions, don't get into arguments and conflicts you know hastily you know go if there's a problem with somebody go and talk to them privately and and if there's one that reveals things about you you know uh, there's going to be a problem now here's the thing to remember if someone talks to you about others i can almost guarantee that they will soon talk with others about you so be careful. We as Christians are to talk with people, not to talk about people. And I think that as we learn that and as we you know, go to them and not make foolish decisions and anger and all of this, that those things can get worked out for the most part. There's understanding and clarity. There may not always be agreement, but there certainly can be clarity and some understanding. But listen, if somebody comes to you and they're talking to you about someone else, it will not be long before they will be talking with somebody else about you. So be careful. Be careful to have those ears that desire to hear the gossip and the putting people down and all of this. And we need to be careful, as Proverbs is telling us. And then in verse 11 Uh, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver like an earring of gold like an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear so as we give words of correction is very valuable it's golden we don't want to ignore it and in verse 13 like the cold of snow in time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him for he refreshes the soul of his master so Uh, you know, cool weather at harvest is refreshing because usually at harvest, you know, it's it's hot and a, a faithful messenger will give words that are refreshing. And that's my prayer for us. That as you go out of this place and as you talk to your kids or grandkids, you talk to your spouse, as you talk to family members, as you talk to your neighbors and your coworkers, that they would be words of refreshing. Let's be a blessing to others. Let's not get into the crude, you know, language and the talk and the useless babbling and all the voices that we hear around us that, you know, really tear us down and can really bum us out. You be one that's refreshing. You be refreshing to others and be a blessing to them. And what you're going to see is, is that people are going to respond to you in in a lot better way, being open to hear from you as you do that well why don't we stop here we'll pick it up here next time but father we do come tonight and thank you for these few verses that we went over and lord we could go through this a lot faster perhaps but this is what you had for us and lord i thank you that uh, the few verses that we went over speaks about being refined and being refreshing to others and Lord, we want to be that way. We want to be in a way that pleases you and blesses you um, with our words, how we live our lives. And Lord, uh, we do ask. We do pray that there be revival. That it would start right here. In this church, in our hearts and in our homes, That, Lord, that the word of the Lord, the word of God would multiply in our hearts and there be a humbling. That, Lord, that we would know that you desire to do so much exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And, Lord, that we would trust in you and humble ourselves before you to allow that refining process to take place in our hearts. Lord, that we would know that you desire for us to continue in the things that are going to draw us close to you. So, Father, may our words be pleasant and our words be refreshing. May we be a light when we go out of this place. I pray if there's anything that is in our hearts, that attitudes or carnality or sin... That you're dealing with us, Lord, I pray that we would repent, turn to you. Lord, we need you to break us from the bondage that we can be in. It may be anger. It may be bitterness. It may be carnality. It may be lust. Whatever it is, Lord, that we would turn to you, cry out to you surrendered to you. Father, I pray you bless everyone here. And Lord, for this congregation, we want to be a light to others. But we want revival in our city and in our county, but we know it's going to come through the word of God being proclaimed and lives that are being surrendered. Maybe we'd be true to you. And Lord, you provide for our needs. We don't have to promote ourselves all the time and exalt a name. We exalt the name of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And Lord, it isn't about the methods and programs and procedures and all of this. It's about you. I pray that you'd move among us and bless us and guide us and empower us to be a light. Father, again, I pray for this weekend that you bless the ladies and on Sunday and Lord, that you just continue working amongst your people in a powerful way. I pray if there's anyone here, because I know the coffee shop has got a lot of people in it that, or maybe you're listening on live stream, that you have a decision to make for Jesus that Jesus went to that cross for you if you've never surrendered your life to him. And salvation comes through a heart that turns to Jesus and calls out to him, recognizing that he died for you and for your sins, and he rose again and he's alive. There's forgiveness of sin that comes only through Jesus Christ through the cross. Your faith in him, turning to him. So I pray if there's anyone that has questions or is wondering how do I have a relationship with Jesus that you come in faith and you cry out to him and you ask Jesus to forgive you Jesus forgive me of my sins I believe you died on the cross and you rose again in your life and I ask that you be my Lord and Savior I don't want to just join a church I don't want to just you know hear Bible study I want to have a personal relationship with you Lord So sit upon the throne of my life. Forgive me. Thank you. And if anybody prayed that prayer, when we finish, I want you to come up and tell me a decision or call me if you're listening on live stream or on the radio later. But Father, I just pray as we go our way, we would take you with us. You go with us in our homes and in our workplace. Bless everyone here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?